When I was in my first posting, I never had much experience taking care of dengue patients. Frankly, because first posters were not allowed to take care of dengue patients. All of this actually came to bite me in the back when I had my first viva in my medical posting. The viva went terribly. I was pretty sure I was about to pass with my first assessor until my second assessor slapped me with a case of dengue. I knew I was heading into trouble. I tried to answer the questions based on whatever I knew from my from whatever I've read before, but all I could see is an increasing look of disapproval in my assessor's face. She was not happy. At the end of it, she asked me, "How on earth are you going to work as an MO if you don't really know how to manage dengue?" Honestly speaking, I did pass my viva with a really close margin, but this event highlighted to me a few things. Firstly, it highlighted that having book knowledge on diseases would never substitute actual experience in managing diseases with a really complex history like dengue. Secondly, having some knowledge on the epidemiology of disease or the disease pattern in your community could go a long way. in actually trying to focus your study and your training in order to become better doctors thirdly it gave me a realization that our housemanship years are most probably the only years that we are able to learn and make mistakes and this privilege will disappear once we become an mo because we have already had the expectation to manage cases on our own what this episode aims to do is to give people a basic understanding of the pathophysiology and the diagnosis of dengue I will be covering the management of dengue in a separate episode. My primary source from for this episode is from the Malaysian CPG on dengue, which I will definitely attach in the description because it does provide an excellent basis for understanding how this disease manifests as well as how to manage this particular disease. Dengue is a mosquito-borne, enveloped, single-stranded RNA viral infection which has four distinct serotypes then we one then we two then we three and then we four this virus is usually transmitted by the Aedes aegypti mosquito or the Aedes albopictus mosquito its incidence is generally increased especially in urban areas in contrast to malaria which is in the opposite manner which tends to occur more commonly in rural communities infections from one of its four distinct serotypes of course grants lifelong protective immunity from the very same serotype that means to say if you get infected with dengue 1 you're more likely to be immune towards uh the dengue 1 serotype of the dengue virus however you are not immune to the other serotypes dengue 2 to 4 this mean the reinfection that happens with another serotype is actually a major risk factor towards developing severe dengue due to the enhanced antibody response which I'll be explaining below pathophysiology dengue has two pathophysiological manifestations which we commonly call leaking and bleeding there is another term called bleaking bleaking b l e a k i n g which we generally use in our practice but we are not going to go in deeper into it for the sake of simplicity in leaking there is an increased vascular permeability owing to the endothelial dysfunction the endothelial dysfunction that i mentioned before happens because the immune response towards the dengue virus produces reactive oxygen species 
pro-inflammatory molecules and enzymes that actually break down the glycocalyx layer that maintains the endothelium of the blood vessels. This results in plasma leakage and subsequent hemoconcentration and in severe cases leads to compensated or decompensated shock. The leaking is also as responsible for pleural effusions, pericardial effusions as well, which we may see in some dengue patients. The reduced intravascular volume also leads to reduced perfusion, which causes lactic acidosis owing to the glycolysis from anaerobic respiration. Bleeding in dengue, on the other hand, is actually poorly understood. We know that it occurs due to three distinct factors. A, because of the capillary fragility. B, because of the coagulopathy that happens within dengue infection due to the loss of coagulation factor because you have plasma leakage. There is also the release of heparin sulfate due to the interaction between the NS1 antigen and the endothelial glycocalyx. (coughs) (coughs) Thrombocytopenia C. Thrombocytopenia also happens that is caused by the primary bone marrow suppression or the peripheral immune-mediated platelet destruction as well. Of course, it does have other end-organ effects as well such as the hepatic and the cardiac and the neurological manifestations which are also extremely variable and also requires an episode by itself in order to explain the specific pathophysiology behind all these different manifestations. So wait, how do dengue patients present themselves? This is where the major challenge comes because dengue comes in three distinct phases the febrile phase, the critical phase as well as the recovery phase. In the febrile phase, you may see patients presenting with prolonged fever that may last two to seven days, like no shit Sherlock, right? This may be accompanied with facial flushing, a maculopapular rash, headache with retroorbital pain, as well as vomiting. The critical phase often occurs after the third day of fever or during the defervescence of the febrile phase. One of the main indicators is the rapid drop in temperature. That is why in like our practice, we actually see, take a close look at the temperature and the last temperature taken, as well as the last paracetamol given as well. Thrombocytopenia and hemoconcentration usually manifest at this stage. Hematocrit is usually a reliable reliable marker for hemoconcentration as well. However, do keep in mind that the hematocrit may be lower in patients who are actually bleeding. Of course, in less severe cases, the critical phase amounts to just minimal circulatory changes or electrolyte abnormalities. However, in cases of severe dengue, you would actually see compensated or decompensated shock, persistent vomiting and persistent diarrhea. Organ dysfunction usually happens at this stage as well. When you take the blood investigations during this, uh, this particular phase, you actually see leukopenia, clotting abnormalities, transaminitis, hypoproteinemia, as well as hypoalbuminemia as well. Past this critical phase, you reach the recovery phase, which starts usually after 24 to 48 hours of the recovery phase. There would be a reabsorption of the fluids from the extracellular space, 
patient's general well-being will also improve actually and you will actually see the characteristics islands of white in a sea of red rash picture on the patient. Your lab and investigation may show a drop in hematocrit level and a recovery of platelets and white cell count as well. With this being said, one must keep an eye out for the dengue warning signs which often presents in both febrile as well as in defervescence phase. So what are the dengue warning signs? You may get abdominal pain and tenderness. You may get persistent vomiting more than three times a day. You may get persistent diarrhea more than three times a day. There may be clinical fluid accumulation. There may be mucosal bleed. There may be lethargy, confusion and restlessness. There may be tender liver or an increase in hematocrit with a rapid decrease in platelet. That being said, how do we reliably diagnose dengue? In our setting, we usually hear people talking about dengue combo tests, right? Usually it consists of the NS1, IgM and the IgG and is meant to be read within 15 to 20 minutes. However, that being said, there are certain products that are used for the serology test which may have a different recommended time for reading. One must pay close attention to it because reading it too late may actually lead to increased false positive rates as well. The NS1 antigen is usually sensitive during the febrile phase of the illness. NS1 being positive after the day 5 of illness is actually predictive for severe dengue. Bear in mind that it could have false positive in chronic diseases such as rheumatoid arthritis and hematological malignancies as well. Dengue IgM, on the other hand, is usually detected after day 5 of illness and a repeat is usually warranted in the event of a neg- negative IgM within 5 days for in patients whom you strongly suspect dengue. IgG is usually positive after the 7th day of illness. With this, I've already covered the pathophysiology, the presentation, as well as the diagnosis of dengue. On the next episode, or in future episodes, I'll be covering the initial workup of dengue, as well as how to manage this particular condition and also the preventative measures that we can actually take. To wrap up, dengue is a condition that is brought about by the dengue virus, which has four forms. There's three different phases of illness, the febrile, the critical, as well as the recovery phase. Its management is complex and require an episode by itself to do it justice. Tune in to the next episode where we'll discuss gender inequality in medicine. I will also be posting short snippets, which are shorter episodes aimed at delivering small bits of information in order to help you survive the grilling sessions during rounds in the coming weeks as well. Thank you.